Welcome to Podland, the last word in podcasting news. It's the 3rd of February, 2022. I'm James Cridland, the editor of podnews.net. And I'm Sam Sethi, the MD of River Radio here in the UK. Hi, this is Mark Asquith, co-founder of Captivate.fm, and I'm going to talk to you about the latest release from the world-only growth-oriented podcast hosting platform. Hello, my name is Craig Hewitt. I'm the CEO of Castos. I'll be on later to discuss podcasting. They will. Podland sponsored by Buzzsprout. Podcast hosting made easy with free learning materials. Remarkable customer support. Last week, 4,433 people started hosting with Buzzsprout. And you can too at buzzsprout.com. So let's talk a bit about Buzzsprout stats, James. What have they achieved? Yes, they've achieved 100 million monthly downloads for the first time, which is very good. They achieved that in January, which is a great number. So many congratulations to them. This is part of their global stats. And the other piece of data in their global stats is that I find really interesting is that Apple Podcasts continues to increase on their data. Now, the way that Buzzsprout works it out in terms of the public global stats is that they only count things that are absolutely Apple Podcasts. So if it says Apple Core Media, that's not Apple Podcasts. At least it's not guaranteed to be. So therefore, this is really good. Apple Podcasts increasing to 37.2% in January. Spotify decreasing to 28%. So really interesting seeing that. I wonder why that is. Is it because more people have iPhones than you think? Not so sure. Maybe Apple is busy testing uh, Apple Podcasts for Android. (laughs) Anyway, shall we get on with this week's podcasting news? Yes, let's do. Now, the first story up is Amazon, surprisingly. Most people thought it was something else. How much did Amazon pay for my favourite murder, which they bought last week, James? Well, if Bloomberg is to be believed, and uh, who, who would not believe Bloomberg, then the figure is $100 million. And for that, or obviously, as n- otherwise known as a Joe Rogan. Otherwise known as Joe Rogan, except, of course, we don't even know that either, for sure. But for that, Amazon got other exactly right media shows as well. And they also say that uh, the deal that SiriusXM did with AudioChuck was worth, quotes, nine figures, which could be 100 million, could be even more. So they've clearly got their hands in their pockets, both Amazon and SiriusXM. So now explain to me, James, because you'll know the answer. How are they going to re-back 100 million? What is Amazon getting for 100 million that will generate the revenue to match. So what I think they've actually done is I think they've done the same as I've heard reported about Joe Rogan, which is that it's not 100 million, it's about 30 million per year for three years, which of course is a bit different. And what Joe Rogan does when they sell advertising on the Joe Rogan show, firstly, they have a very high cost per thousand. But secondly, you can only buy if you buy the network, if you buy the other Spotify shows as well. So from a point of view of everybody wants to be in My Favourite Murder, everybody wants to be in Joe Rogan, it's a clever sort of a plan to actually get them buying other parts of the network as well. Plus, of course, the benefit of, in My Favourite Murder's case, the benefit of a week's worth of exclusive, which means that at least My Favourite Murder will be talking about Amazon Music and uh, getting people to download the Amazon Music app, because, my goodness, you could actually benefit from that. So I think it's part marketing. And it's also part sales leverage to actually get um, more sales into other shows across the Amazon network. Well, if they do download the Amazon Music, at least they get Neil Young. So that's a benefit, isn't it? Um, 
<laughs> there is that. Or, of course, if you're with Sirius XM, then you can get a whole channel full of Neil Young, which uh, they cheekily announced for some reason this week, except actually they started running that channel in December of last year and then stopped it and then magically started it again and got another press release out of it from gullible people like me. Congratulations, Sirius XM. That's a winner. We might go into some of the reasons why. Sirius is also doing some uh, other interesting things. They've launched something called Audio Idea, a new method of targeting ads to audiences. It's said to be private and optional for listeners. What is Audio ID? So uh, they are getting worried, as everybody else is, in terms of listener identity. And uh, the time was that you would give somebody a cookie and uh, just basically watch that cookie. And when that cookie comes in, then they go, oh, that's Sam Sethi. I know him. And they feed you the ads that you might be interested in and the products that you might wish to buy. Cookies, of course, are going away, as are other things as well. And so what SXM Media, which is the sales team of SiriusXM, has announced is the introduction of this thing called Audio ID, which you as a listener can opt into. I'm not entirely convinced it's going to be very obvious that you're opting into it. But that way, Audio ID is essentially your ID for all of their apps. So for Pandora, for the SiriusXM app, Stitcher, and anything from AdsWiz as well, potentially in the future. And they call it the future of listener identity. Basically, another way of working out what advertising they should go out and uh, sell you. Two questions. Can other people use Audio ID or is it Sirius XM only? My understanding is they're starting with it being a Sirius XM solution and they may open it up to other people in the future. But at the moment, my understanding is that it's very much just for Sirius XM stuff. But AdsWiz is obviously available globally. And assuming that they can legally do that, because it turns into a third-party platform that way, then there's no reason why they couldn't roll that out to other platforms like Bauer Media in the UK, who I think use AdsWiz, and various other ones. Now, last week, we talked about something called ULIDs. Is this anything related to it, or is that a totally spurious, tangential relationship? Uh, it's it's uh, totally spurious and tangential. So the idea of a ULID is basically just a random collection of characters which a podcast app will send you, the podcast host, for every episode that you download. So it's just to stop or to make life easier for podcast hosts to count unique users. That's all that is. Whereas this is specifically around tracking around working out how many times you've heard an ad before, around working out whether or not you're in the market for a new car or some fashion clothing or or whatever, and then working out what to do from that point of view. So I think they keep on talking about privacy-centric and all of that kind of stuff, but this is very much about targeting ads to you better. Moving on, and we have to address the elephant in the room. We tried not to to start with. Joe Rogan, yes. So I'm sure that everyone in the podcasting world has heard everything they need to know about Joe Rogan, but clearly the story won't go away. So for those who don't know, obviously Joe Rogan had a couple of doctors on who were anti-vaxxers. That caused a number of people, including Neil Young, to be a little bit cheesed off and he removed his music. That was soon followed by others joining in. And you thought that after Joe Rogan put his mere culpa out, where he said, if there's anything that I've done that I could do better, it's having more experts with differing opinions right after I have the controversial ones. I do all the scheduling myself somehow. I don't believe that. And I don't always get it right. 
somehow, Joe, I just don't believe you do that, mate. But anyway, but on the back of that, Sharon Stone, she of the famous cross uncrossed legs, basically has said to address Joe Rogan, they're going to put disclaimers on his podcast. She's put, he should put a disclaimer that he's an a-hole and that his behavior is dangerous. <laughs> so uh, she's not impressed. And Roseanne Arquette has said she's going to take her podcast off Spotify. So Neil Young's starting a little trend. Mary Trump, the niece of said ex-president has tweeted, I'm removing my podcast from Spotify as well. And a few other people, Graham Nash and Indiari. So it doesn't seem to be going away. Now, what's your thoughts now I've had mine? I'm going to play devil's advocate because I think it's more fun if I play devil's advocate. Quite a lot of this is driven by grumpy old musicians. Neil Young is hardly the youngest, most hip musician that you've ever seen. He's had a history of moaning about online music platforms. He founded a high-res music platform called Pono Music, which Tidal put out of business. And then he removed his music from Tidal this time last year because he was moaning about the fact that they were calling his high-res MQA audio on that uh, platform as masters. So basically, he's a grumpy old man. He's seeing this as a convenient excuse to giving Spotify a kick. And... I think it says everything that a day after pulling his music from Spotify, um, Neil Young put something on his own website saying how dreadful Spotify's audio quality sounds and promoting four months free on Amazon Music, which has a high res service. He's not actually saying that's uh, a commercial deal with Amazon, which is against FCC guidelines, because it clearly is because he's been quoted by Amazon Music in the past in press releases saying how good their high-res format is. I think Neil uh, Young is being a little bit dodgy in terms of that. And I think, frankly, you've got a lot of musicians who either don't understand how Spotify works or are just a little bit grumpy that life isn't like the old days 30 years ago when you used to go in and buy a, a piece of vinyl or a cassette and earn an awful lot more money out of it. And they're basically, you know, using that to earn a bit more, just to basically jump up and down and go, oh, well, you know, it's uh, Spotify, rubbish old Spotify. Nils Lofgren, for heaven's sake. Joni Mitchell, great. These are all old people. These are old Canadians. These are all people, Nils Lofgren isn't. But these are all people who you know, who aren't necessarily the, the, the most uh, popular music artists of today. Do we really need to care what they think, to be honest? Probably not them. And uh, I guess if it was somebody like Adele or The Weeknd or Ed Sheeran, I think Spotify's board might sit up and take notice much. They did publish their full content policy, and it turns out, a bit like Boris Johnson and the Sue Gray report, clearly Joe Rogan didn't break any of their content policy. Well, I mean... It's not in breach. A, it's not Joe Rogan saying these things. And B, Joe Rogan, he hasn't actually been saying the things that Spotify are, are concerned about. Spotify's content guidelines don't talk about uh, balance or things like that. But to a point, at least, and bear in mind I'm playing devil's advocate here, to a point, at least, I think that there is a bit of shouting about this and just any old excuse to shout a bit more about uh, Spotify. Prince Harry 
laziest ex-royal in the world, said that he he had expressed his concerns Future about... Future king of Australia. <laughs> he said he had expressed his concerns about vaccine misinformation to Spotify management in April last year. Maybe that explains why he's been too lazy to record <laughs> another podcast. <laughs> you do look at this and you think, and you think that there's something a little bit strange going on. Howard Stern has supported people coming off Spotify and saying that he's not against censorship, but he does think that particular podcast has gone a little bit too far. But there again, Howard Stern has an awful lot of shares in a competing product from SiriusXM. Again, you've got all of that. And James Blunt, who, who I think is hilarious, British musician James Blunt, who threatened he would release new songs if Rogan doesn't go. Very amusing, but he's realised again that actually maybe he's blown a lid on this and shown that it's basically lots of has-been musicians who are all of a sudden thinking maybe this is a way for people to recognise how brilliant I was and to start listening to my music again. You might say that it's a bunch of old musicians and a musician that no one wants to listen to who are making a groan and a moan, but Spotify cancellations were high. The hashtag delete Spotify did trend on Twitter and at one point Spotify did stop people from cancelling their subscriptions. So there must have been some effect of it. Oh, I'm, I'm sure that there was some effect. But at the end of it, all websites need to deal with a traffic. And if they get r rather more traffic than they're expecting, then, you know, of course, those particular services need to be shuttered while they fix that. But to me, um, playing devil's advocate, I, I think that there's an awful lot of people who are taking this opportunity to give Spotify a kick. I mean, you know, Gimlet, many of the people who work at Gimlet don't like Spotify very much, don't really like the fact that Spotify had bought them. Science Versus, for example, Wendy Zuckerman and Blythe Terrell say they'll no longer make the Science Versus podcast, which is a Gimlet production, and of course, therefore paid by Spotify, except they will continue making them if they are intended to counter misinformation being spread on Spotify. And Rogan ends up saying in the video that he released on Sunday night, he ends up saying, look, I've got people on who are saying things that aren't very popular, but actually history shows that quite a lot of them have been right. People were saying in the beginning that if you get your vaccine, that won't stop you from catching COVID or from passing it on. And that's now scientific fact. And Rogan claims a, a number um, more of these sorts of uh, things. Is, is he just ahead of the time uh, playing devil's advocate? The thing is, he's not broken the First Amendment, which protects free speech from government suppression. Mm -hmm. But Spotify have no obligation, according to Gordon Firemark, an entertainment lawyer, as they're a private company, to actually do anything about it. They yeah. can. They're the ones who pay for They it. can take him off. What gets me, this falls under a lovely way of getting out of it for every party, which is, it's called misinformation, not disinformation. And I learned the difference the other day. Oh, go on Dis then. Well, disinformation is deliberately making a statement that is wrong. You knowingly know it. And you make a statement and put it out there. Misinformation is more of a, oh, really? I didn't know. And it's that misinformation, which is what Fox use a lot. It's not us. We just thought we put the news across. But, it, oh, did we get it wrong? Misinformation. Is, is he not just giving voices to the voiceless? Is he not just giving voices to people who have alternative theories? Because there are alternative theories out there playing devil's advocate. Is he not doing that? I, I saw somebody saying that Spotify cancellations were really high and they've lost 15% 
of their customers in the last week. And I said, where did you get that from? And he said, oh, I'm not sure of the source of that, <laughs> but here are some stock market graphs. And I said, this is just as bad as what you're alleging Rogan to have been done, because you've literally made something up here. Why are you claiming that? And you got very upset with me. Art, James, the rubber when it hits the road is when the, the banks, because Spotify's quarterly results were out on Wednesday, the 2nd of February. Morgan Stanley has lowered Spotify's target price to $300. Yep, still 50% up from its current price of 196 That's dropped even overnight. And whereas other research companies are saying that the target price will drop down to 158 which is massive. That was Richard Kramer at uh, Arete Research, who a friend of the show, and uh, he has always had a negative about uh, Spotify. Morgan Stanley, of course, owns 7% of Spotify and, by the way, are, are investment bankers to the company. So therefore, if they were saying, oh, Spotify is going to crash and burn, then that would be a worry. But my suspicion is that, that Morgan Stanley's client note is more concerned with the figures which have come out over the last uh, 24 hours with the figures for the last uh, quarter, which, of course, don't include any, actually. And what that ends up saying, by the way, is that monthly active users grew 18% year on year. Ad revenue grew 40%. What's Spotify's podcasting plan? It's all ad revenue. It's nothing to do with paid for premium uh, customers. So that seems to be working. They've managed to, last quarter they made some money, but this quarter they've lost some money. They've lost 44 million. It's a drop in the ocean. What's brilliant is that, that they then said that they expect to lose 75 million uh, in the next quarter. So I'm not quite sure why that is. Um, but they seem to be doing okay. And I think Morgan Stanley's point is that they have done quite an interesting pivot away from premium subscribers, which used to be the main way that Spotify was going to continue earning money, into focusing a bit more on ad revenue and that sort of thing. And so from that point of view, playing devil's advocate, they've done exactly the right thing. They're focusing on the content that they have. And if Neil Young wants to go away and they lose a few premium users well they lose a few premium users now a number of publications though james the economist the business week have been talking about the wild west nature of podcasting and how it's unpoliced and it's something that i've said for a long time that it's going to come and buy one host or app provider eventually where somebody like a joe rogan or maybe not somebody as big as joe says something so outrageous and outlandish and that, that it'll end up in court and a legal issue will prevail, which means that somebody will coffer a large amount of a fine. Now, what can we do? Is this something that we just go, well, let's just wait until that happens and we keep going? Because the thing that you wrote about this week that I had to question, I know you're only reporting it, mm. was that it said Spotify has removed 20,000 episodes related to COVID that were wrong. Yeah. Was I misreading that? Actually, what Spotify said is they've removed 20,000 podcasts, and I'm pretty convinced okay. that they don't mean that. The Economist today has an article where they're saying that they've removed 20,000 podcast episodes. That seems an awful lot. What it also says is that Facebook employs 15,000 content moderators, and uh, Spotify, I'm guessing they've got roughly 15,000 fewer than that. <laughs> so I think I would agree that content moderation 
is an interesting problem for people to have because at the end of the day, if Spotify is choosing these particular shows to be on their platform, and particularly in this case, choosing to pay for that show, or if I can be strictly accurate, because I know that I'll get a boostergram from Adam Curry if I don't, they're paying to license this show. But if they're paying to license this show, then that's their choice, really. But there, there'll always be plenty of other places to find these particular shows, even if they get chopped off Apple Podcasts or chopped off uh, Spotify, playing devil's advocate. So is the future going to be curating of platforms? So last week, Acast was looking at the long tail and trying to promote the long tail and mm. the work that they're going to do to discover new podcasts, which means to me, that they're trying to get more and more podcasts onto their platform. Whereas this sounds like, if true, which as we think it may not be, Spotify has some form of content moderation going on now, which means they're curating their platform. That may be the case. There's a brilliant tweet that I'm linking to today from Pod News, which shows somebody sitting there listening to a podcast and a Spotify announcement of this is uh, this is not medical information. Uh, you should uh, consult a doctor first. Comes on and he just skips through it. And it's a really interesting tweet because it does show that actually, even if Spotify and they've said that they're going to be doing this, put these mandatory content warnings in there, people are just going to skip past them anyway. So what use is that to anybody? Look, at the end of the day. If podcasts are out there that break the law in terms of medical advice or they break the law in terms of financial investment or they libel somebody or anything else, then we've already got great laws to stop that from being an issue. And great, they will end up in court if they end up doing that. So I guess the question, playing devil's advocate, is there a content uh, moderation role here or is it just actually that somebody is a little bit concerned for Spotify's brand? I'm looking at Joe Rogan on my Spotify app. I'm terribly uh, sorry. Still no warning indicators, still no method for me to report while I'm listening to the episode mm. that there's something wrong. I have to go somewhere, which I can't do on my mobile app, to a support page to go and report it. So much for Spotify really bothered about this. I don't think they are. They're hoping it, like Boris Johnson, it'll just go away. Uh, well, yeah, but, but still you know, break. But again, playing devil's advocate, if you're going to add that sort of text into the app, then that means that you've got to do a bit of tech work in terms of the app and make sure that it's in there properly and everything else. And it may not just be as easy as just switching that on. It may be that they need an app release and that might take a couple of agile sprints to do. Um, playing devil's advocate. Can I stop playing devil's advocate now? Can we move on? Yeah, I think we, I think so. <laughs> I think sadly we, we won't have heard the last of this, but anyway, for this week we have now it's Google time now. That's my bad pirate impersonation. Why would I be doing that? Why, why is the pirate from the West country? I don't understand. Because <laughs> pirate Penzance, that's why. Oh, I see. From, yes. Yes. Very see. good. That's it. Uh, yes. That's very good. Anyway, yes, uh, why are you being pirates and talking about Google? Because uh, Google did a clever thing this week. It managed to switch the All In podcast, which is Jason Kalkanis's podcast, to a pirated version of the All In podcast that had ads stitched on the front. 
Thank you, Spreaker, for holding that particular pirated copy. And thank you, Google, for randomly switching to it. They've uh, fessed up. Danny Sullivan has said, we appear to have mistakenly pointed to a duplicate version of the podcast. You don't say. And this has happened before, and it's actually happened to this very podcast. Not a pirated copy, because <laughs> nobody's going to pirate this, but a version... Come on, uh, it'll be a webby one day. <laughs> <laughs> who, who do you know who's a webby judge? Google did actually switch this very podcast in December away from Buzzsprout, who we host with and who sponsor, to, weirdly, a 301 redirect on Captivate. So they actually pointed the entire stream to a 301 redirect. Why would you do that? Because redirects don't work that way, Google. Do you not understand how podcasting works at all? And similarly, weirdly, I had a test podcast feed in Google Podcasts and Google managed to switch that from a version of the RSS feed with a slash on the end to a version with the, of the RSS feed without a slash on the end, which 301 redirected to the one with the slash on the end. What are you doing, Google? Are you drunk? Go home. So don't really understand that. And I think it does say everything. I know that a member of staff left Google Podcasts in mid-January. Uh, so there's one less person working for Google Podcasts. My suspicion is that they now have two people there. Secondly, um, Google Podcasts. No, I'm being perfectly serious. My, that's <laughs> Don't go mad, Google, and employ more people. God. That's how many people I think are there. And then secondly, Buzzsprout's data that we were talking about earlier on, we've got yearly data now to be able to compare. Google Podcasts this time last year was 2.6% market share. They're now 2.3% market share. So they're actually losing market share, even though they really shouldn't be. All of that seems to point to Google Podcasts, really. It's another typical Google thing of can't be bothered. Look, there's a shiny thing over there. We should go and look at the shiny thing over there. And that seems to be what's going on, which is a real shame because if Google were actually going to, you know, do this properly, they could do really successfully. All that we need now, of course, is Apple to release their Android app and, uh, and everybody will be happy. The world will be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Apple. I've been using Pocket Casts and, uh, recently and Pocket Casts is lovely, but it's quite buggy, actually. It's quite surprising. So yes, I'm uh, hoping that their new owners of Automatic will actually get some money into that and make that uh, a little bit better. It's a new feature now, ladies and gentlemen. It's called Feedback Corner, where James tells developers <laughs> about their buggy software. Feedback Corner. <laughs> Jason Calacanis, who you mentioned earlier there, has also been a little bit unhappy as well with Spotify. Sorry to bring them back into it. He's been moaning and groaning about the fact that, which is fair enough, actually, him and Molly Wood, I, I like Molly Wood, they actually been giving Spotify a good little kicking as well this week. And nothing oh, to good. do with Joe Rogan. It's, it's all about not being able to add RSS feeds into uh, Spotify. Stop trying to break podcasting. And everything that Spotify is doing is not open standards, is very closed, is pointing people towards their platform. And Jason Kokanis, Molly Wood, absolutely right in shining that particular light. And maybe that's what we should be getting more angry about than one particular podcaster wanting to have his own say playing devil's advocate. I did say to Dave Jones that we should start to refer to Apple and Spotify as legacy apps. And that oh, way wow, people see. will begin to understand that they are the past and not the future. Yes, I would agree to a point about Apple there. Go on, play devil's advocate. Go on. <laughs> not, not so sure about Spotify, but Google Podcasts, absolutely. That product doesn't seem to have had any work done on it for a while. And I just think that they've forgotten about it. So 
Let's talk about Google one more time because clearly they've forgotten about other things. You wrote about a website using Google fonts has been fined for breaking GDPR European privacy rules. How's that possible and what's the story? So this is a bit of a weird one. They've been fined, yes, but they've been fined 100 euro, which is about 100, 110 US dollars. So they haven't really been fined an awful lot. But if you embed any third party content into a website, then essentially whoever that third party is gets to see the details of your visitors. So if you remember five, 10 years ago, there was this uh, time when everybody had a Facebook like button on their website and what that was very cleverly doing is that was feeding back to Facebook all of the websites that you were going to visit so that they could get their advertising algorithms better and that's a prime example of how this stuff works of course if you embed a Google font from Google onto your website and Google have somewhere in the region of 2000 fonts that you can embed onto your website then Google learns all kinds of information about your visitors. They can look at that IP address and they can, I'm not saying that they do, but they can take that IP address and work out, oh, that's um, Sam Sethi because he's logged in on, on his phone on the same IP address. So I did a quick uh, audit of the top 10 podcast host websites and seven of them were using Google fonts in that way. So Anchor, Buzzsprout, Spreaker, Libsyn, Podbean, OmniStudio, and Captivate, all linking to Google fonts and essentially all giving Google all of the information about their visitors as well. I should point out, because I'm very proud of this, that Pod News phased out Google fonts and indeed all third-party content wherever possible more than two years ago because of exactly this reason. Just something to be aware of. Prescient, that's all I'd say. Oh, that's a good word. I feel like I've eaten a thesaurus on this episode. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Moving forward, the good old Auntie Beeb. It makes the news this week. The BBC says it saw a total of 257 million <laughs> podcast downloads globally last quarter. If that's true, that would make it the number three podcast publisher in the world. Possibly NPR has 169 versus the BBC's 85 million per month. James, why is this good news for the BBC and what are they? It's interesting news for the BBC because they are essentially the number three podcast publisher in the world. They are, though, taking shows off podcasting and sticking them into the BBC Sounds app. And a really weird thing, I did ask, does the 257 million podcast downloads include all plays of those podcasts? And the BBC press person who I contacted said, well, actually, no. If you're listening to BBC Sounds as a download, then yes, they would be. If you're listening using the BBC Sounds app as a stream, i.e. you just press the button and it starts playing, then the 257 million doesn't include that. So actually, the figure is rather higher, which is interesting. What the BBC have now decided to do is that they are going to take some of their radio-originated podcasts and make those exclusives as well on the BBC Sounds app for 28 days, which is very clever because some topical shows, the News Quiz and the Now Show, will now be only available 28 days later on RSS feeds. It's a decision, isn't it? And the other big show which is affected in that trial is In Our Time, which was the first ever podcast from the BBC, and I think the first ever podcast from a broadcaster in the UK 
in November 2004. So interesting to see that coming off. Uh, the BBC says that gives licence fee pairs even more value in the typical uh, twisted um, <laughs> way that the BBC says, because it clearly doesn't. But still, there we go. Interesting seeing that, but some great figures from the BBC. And I think it's worthwhile pointing out that some of the BBC's biggest shows are ones produced by the, the BBC World Service, which won't be going anywhere soon, and uh, ones that are proper journalism rather than some of the more uh, entertainment-focused shows. That the BBC also has historically blocked its podcast from Google Podcasts. Is it still doing that, James? It is still doing that. They've also pulled their live streams in the UK from TuneIn. So if you have a Tesla, no listening to the BBC for you. Similarly, no listening to Bauer radio stations in the UK because that's what they're doing as well, pulling their live streams away. So the end, the era of open in terms of audio is most definitely going away for the broadcasters. I think it's crazy. And I think if you are a declining medium, which radio is, albeit slowly declining, then the most important thing you can do is put your content where people can listen to it, not force people to download an app that you don't really want. Timely that you say that because Raja, which is the radio figures, came out with their quarterly results. From my reading of it, in summary, youth radio, BBC Radio 1 and Capital FM, UK radio stations, are in sharp decline compared to talk radio stations like LBC and TalkSport. What's your thoughts, James? Yes, I have been saying for a while that music-intensive radio, so that's radio stations that don't have too much uh, talk on them, music-intensive radio stations um, don't have a particularly good future. And recent figures from Rajar seem to uh, show that. They, of course, have released a press release saying that UK radio reports biggest ever audience, which is also true. 49.5 million people are now tuning into UK radio. That's because the amount of people living in the UK has gone up. Um, and so therefore, when the amount of people living in the UK goes up, so does the amount of people listening to the radio. But 89% of the UK adult population are now listening every single week, which of course is, is considerably higher than podcasting. I would say, though, that the average Brit listens for only 18 hours a week. Ten years ago, that was 20 hours a week. Research methodologies have changed, but you can clearly see that there is an erosion there, and it's important for radio companies to keep relevant and to keep their content on as many platforms as possible. I would say, being a certified radio future on. Mm, certified. Interesting. Yeah, um, well, I should, I should be certified. That's what I was thinking. Not officially certified <laughs> by anybody. Certified by me. That's how that works. And and the one thing that we shouldn't forget is that talk radio is doing uh, really very well indeed. Global Radio owns LBC, which has posted, I think it's the 15th time that they have posted record figures, which is really cool. So clearly Global know what they're doing. And you were talking to a Global employee, were you not? I was, yes. Mark Asquith, who you... Uh were an advisor to on Captivate. So I thought we'd catch up because recently Global acquired Captivate. And I thought I'd ask Mark about what was happening with Captivate. They had some new features coming out. But more interestingly, I was interested in why Global wanted to buy a podcast company and what their plans were. And fundamentally, with Mark as well, we just wanted to find out what his future plans were. I'm here with uh, Mark Asquith, the co-founder and CEO of Captivate. 
Hey, Mark, how are you? I am good, thank you. I am just get, finishing up my day, Sam, which, which is always when you catch people at the end of the day, you always get the sort of free-spirited version. So I'm good, I'm Excellent. good, I'm good. Thank you. That's the one we want. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know, tell us what, first of all, is Captivate. So Captivate is a, a podcast hosting and an analytics and distribution platform, as you'd expect from many other podcast hosting platforms out there and everyone's fantastic. They're all great. Captivate occupies a very specific place in the market. We like to believe and I suppose we're described as this by many people as well as the most tom- complete toolkit for the the real serious podcaster that's very focused on growth. And what I mean by that is we aren't after working with every single podcaster, we don't have a free plan to attract as many people as possible. We don't focus on the creation side of it or the editing side of it. What we focus on is if you define yourself as being someone that is willing to spend time in growing, measuring, and just really moving your show forward, then Captivate is the home for you. And the feature set and the approach and the content that we put out the team Everything is really geared up for that one. So we occupy a a very specific corner of the podcast hosting market and work with a very specific set of podcasters, I think, Sam. So how old is Captivate? Captivate, as we record this, is now two and a half years old. We launched in August 2019 in uh, beta, and then we came out of beta in January 2020, which is startling. Really, what was the embryo for you and your co-founder to start Captivate? What was the itch that you had to scratch? It was more around coming from a marketing and a digital background and a design background, and then getting into podcasting. As but I know a lot of people, for example, will say our hosting platform is by podcasters for podcasters, but a lot of hosts only podcast because they're in podcasting. We did it the other way. We podcasters before we got into hosting and we were building product and we built plenty of startups. We built and and exited other businesses before. And so we just love podcasting. And I was podcasting about Star Wars and and all sorts, DC comics and all sorts of stuff back in 2011, 2012. And that's where the itch came from. So Captivate, the, the real catalyst for putting the foot down and building Captivate was coming off our other business podcast websites, a managed service platform for, again, the serious indie podcaster worked well, still serve a lot of customers with that platform. But a lot of people wanted to work with us for our customer service levels. We're both pretty straight talking, mm-hmm. no BS people. That's my sort of personal brand in the space. And people wanted more of that, but they already had their website of things handled. So we created Captivate really to give ourselves what we needed as podcasters that wanted to grow our audience. And the catalyst was, well, look, all the other hosts say that they want your podcast to grow, but no one, when we'd created Captivate, no one had proved it. I could not see on any other hosting company's site how they were proving that they wanted my audience to grow. So we just built something that I think does stand up to that claim. Now, you just brought out a new version of Captivate. It had automated show notes, uh, a few other features. Tell me what's in the new version on how do they work, automated show notes? A good question. So we, being a a growth-focused platform, we release major features probably once every four to six weeks. This is the latest one, and we do have another announcement coming on the 10th of February, which is... Go on. Tell uh, us now. No uh, one's listening. Go on. No, if I did that, I'm fairly sure the sniper that Kieran's got positioned constantly (laughs) outside my house would finally get the order. But on the 10th of Feb, we've got another version which we're launching as well. So this one that we're talking about is we launched our automated show notes builder. So Captivate's remit for the busy growth-focused podcaster is to do one of two things. 
either save you time or money or to give you a proactive tool that will grow your audience. And to the former, creating good quality show notes is it either costs money or it costs a lot of time, or we just don't do a good job of it. But as podcasting is becoming busier and creators are becoming more serious about what they do, we know that show notes are becoming more important. We really focused on, okay, Captivate controls a lot of data points for the podcaster. We've got a free, fully featured, integrated guest booking and interview management platform. We've got our single promotional link that measures traffic through to Apple and Spotify if you use it and so on. We've got our first party attribution links, our link shortener that you can use for your own promos. We've got our dynamic content engine, Amy, audio monetization integration engine, that, that is another set of data points. Started to explore this idea of, well, wait a second, why don't we just give people the ability to use all of these other connected data pieces within Captivate to automatically build show notes based on what they want to create? And that's what we've done. So we've released our show notes builder, which gives you unlimited show notes templates. It gives you what we call blocks, unlimited blocks, which are pieces of reusable text that you can use in multiple templates. It gives you our short codes, which are sort of independent, either custom shortcodes that you can put in yourself. So the good example of that is something like a hiatus message. When, it, when a show goes on hiatus, it's very important to let your podcasters know that you're going to come back so that they don't just, the feed doesn't degrade and, and, and they, you, you spot a lot of attrition. So a great example of these shortcodes are pop a hiatus message in, stick that in all of your show notes templates. It's a dynamic field that will update as you update it. It will recurse and update all of your previous episodes and when you're not on hiatus, after you've told someone that you are, you can just get rid of that message, leave it blank. And, and again, your show notes will be updated. And then we've got our inbuilt Captivate sh uh, shortcodes as well. So things like your single promo link, all your first party attribution links, your any donation or monetization links that you've got in there, just a, a, a litany of things, but also all of your guest booking information. So Sam, I'm a guest here on, on Podland you could dynamically and automatically insert my data into your show notes without having to touch a thing. And then if I get in touch and say, so those 10 episodes that we did over the last five years, dude, you spelt my name wrong. Well, Captivate allows you to just tweet that in one place. And it, again, it will just pass right. straight through all of your past episodes. Cool. So it's really powerful. And the last thing that it does, which I think is, is probably my favorite bit, is when I use Amy to dynamically insert content, what I can now do is attach pieces of text to the audio that I'm inserting. I can tell Captivate that one of my measurable attribution links is also related to the audio that I'm inserting. And when I insert a pre-roll, either on mass across all of my thousand episodes in the back catalog or for my future episodes, I do a post-roll or a range of mid-rolls, Captivate will automatically rebuild your show notes based on that dynamic audio. It will put the text in that you've associated with it, it will put the measurable link in there. So fantastic for sponsors, fantastic for host reads. And obviously as we move through to, to DAX integration and more dynamic content, it's so powerful. So I, I love this feature because I'm like a lazy podcaster. This is just for me, Sam. <laughs> this is just for me. <laughs> That's, we all build stuff for ourselves. It's brilliant. <laughs> we um, do, we do. Now I was talking to Alban, the head of marketing over at Buzzsprout the other day, and I had this thought in my head. So with Podland, we put in show notes, we put in chapters, and we put in transcriptions. When I'm looking at the content across all three of those, I'm thinking, actually, why isn't it just one file? Because again, when I put my show notes in, I put links and I put pointers to external data. Then we do chapters and then we put links and we put images in the chapters. And then I get this 
plain text, fundamentally SRT file, which has no links and no formatting. And actually the content of the transcription, probably you could summarize the show notes from. So using an AI tool, you could just extract. And I just, I got to my head where I was like, why as an industry do we have three different bits of content that actually say the same thing? It just seems an odd thing for me. I think it's an interesting problem. Eh? And to me, that's one of those problems that is, sounds like a great thing to fix, but my, people might not necessarily need right now. I always find it's, it's hard to solve problems where they are convenience problems. And it's, it's really picking the battles with that one. So I completely agree with everything that you're saying, but then you've got to start to work with app providers. You've then got to start with host, working with hosting companies and you've got to get buy-in. And we've seen with podcasting 2.0 and all the fantastic work that collectively as an industry that we're doing there, it's about choosing the right time to do things and to implement them. So I love the idea of it completely on board with the idea of it, but I think it's one of those, it's, it's a lovely thing to have, but then we rely on the adoption of it so much mm -hmm. that if we don't get it right, it might not take hold. So that is so, such a fine balance with everything, as we know, as I said, podcasting 2.0 is, is the, the greatest example of that. Now, talking of podcasting 2.0, what does Captivate support in there now? Have you embraced and adopted it or are you about to? Where are you with it? So we support a range of things in there. The, the, the latest addition to that is is the person tag. We put that out when are we recording this? Um, recording this the 2nd of Feb. So that will be out early next week. That's a smaller kind of release that we're going to put out prior to one of our I can feel Kieran's finger on the trigger there, Mark. Be careful. That's a feature release. I know. <laughs> I know it's, I can see the red dot on my desk and I'm dodging it on the video, but it, this is a big release. The person tag and, and some of the pod chaser work is a big release in terms of what it will deliver, but it's you know, from a technical standpoint, it's not such a big implementation. So we're, we're big believers in that. We support the transcript side of things. We're staunch supporters of like Adam and Dave and the rest of the community overall. I think from our perspective with Captivate, we've always had a very pragmatic approach to it. I'm very much focused personally on like the day-to-day -day podcaster and I'm where you and me and the rest of the industry are on the bleeding edge mm. of podcast technology, the day-to-day -day person that records once a week to talk about Star Wars. Actually, it, it, some of the stuff that we could implement with podcasting 2.0 wouldn't serve them immediately. So I always find the balance really tough because we adore what's going on and we, we contribute to it. We, we put a lot of comments in just today on the GitHub repo and obviously we want this to take hold on mass whilst also saying, look, actually... We still have to spend dev time doing other things as well. So it's a, it's a tough balance. I have to admit it's a tough balance, but no, we love it. Like I said, the latest edition is the, is the person tag, which we see more adoption of that in, in the apps, the yeah. listening apps. And I think as the listeners potentially become more savvy about, wait a second, I don't just have to listen to these two podcasts. I can go where, if I listen to Sam on, on Podland, I can listen to him elsewhere. I think that the education is becoming something that the, I suppose, People that are outside the industry are becoming a little bit more aware of now. I love it when then the tipping points like that start to occur. The tipping point, I, I do feel, is in 2022, we are beginning to see it. So today, JustCast announced they're going to be supporting the person tag. And you just begin to see people say, we can add that feature. As you said, pragmatically, we'll add a bit more and a bit more. We won't jump ahead and lose people in, oh my God, what's happened? No, it's great. Now... You were uh, a very happy boy, I'm guessing, over Christmas, because pre-Christmas, for those who don't know, uh, a certain global radio group uh, acquired Captivate. 
How did that come about? So I discussed this actually. We've got a podcast called Captivate Insider. I know, I know this is a much shorter version of it, but I did do a long 30, 40 minute kind of deep dive on that. But in short, we Captivate was getting a lot of different acquisition interest over the last few years. We got acquisition offers before we launched, which is ridiculous because it just shows how many people wanted to get into the industry. And they were coming thick and fast. We never set this up to be acquired. It was never the intent to quote unquote sell. But then what happened was we started to get all of these offers. And what tends to happen with that is that you, you as a startup founder and as someone that frankly, I, I pay for my child's education and her healthcare from the proceeds of Captivate, you start to think to yourself, wait a second, how long can I keep up with waking up at 4am, being worried about Sprout going to implement the locks tag and what will the PR, what PR will come from that? And is that going to shade on Captivate? And should we have to do that? Like they are the legitimate 4am worries for a startup founder, which a lot of people don't see. They don't necessarily think that. So what happened was Kieran and I got to this point where we said has, has taken a lot of risks. We've put a lot of features out. I can't think of any other podcasting company on the whole ever that has put as much as us out in, in a short space of time. And what tends to happen then is that you start to think to yourself, how many more risks can we take before we start to think to ourselves, we've got to play it safe because we just need to keep increasing signups. Like we could adopt the bus sprout model and do a freemium plan and, and give vouchers out, but that wouldn't serve our audience. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not for us. But you get to this point as a founder where you think maybe we've got to do that because in order to keep doing what we're doing, we just want to keep signing up more users. And frankly, we didn't want to do that. So we started thinking to ourselves, how can we de-risk Captivate? How can we make sure that no one's going to come and take the house? so that we can then swing for the fences even more and we can continually swing for the fences. So I don't want to say put Captivate on the site, but we registered with a, a service called MicroAcquire where people kick the tires of software companies in order to buy them. We were never going to sell it on there, ever. What we wanted to know was how would we feel if Captivate got acquired? And we got a lot of offers. We went through some due diligence and we hated it, man. We hated it because the people that were looking to buy it they didn't want to uphold the mission. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to uphold what we wanted to uphold. It wasn't the right thing. So we took ourselves off the market. We said, that's it, we're out. We don't want to get acquired. Kieran and I just said, we'll get our heads down and we'll find other ways to de-risk a little bit. I don't want to get into the, the, the depths of it. I, I do it on the Captivate Insider episode about some other options that we've got, which don't include acquisition. But then we started having conversations with Global. They came to us and they said, look, we're in the UK. We see what you do. Here's what we want to do, which is pretty much what you want to do. Shall we have a conversation? So we went through the due diligence. We spoke to our advisors, James Cridland, Evo Terra, Daniel J. Lewis, Jordan Harbinger, Chris Ducker, all advisors to Captivate. We spoke to them and every one of them unanimously said, global, fantastic company, genuine. Ashley, who runs the company, accessible. And the important thing, Sam, is that they basically said, and they've proved it that what they said when they said, if we acquire this, you will keep running it. You will come in at a very high level at Global and we want you to do the thing that you are good at, which is growing Captivate. So it was really the mix of things and the two big things that swung it for us were that we could de-risk and stop the 3am, 4am wake-ups. And you do that every day for, for three or four years. It, it, it eats you. It's tough. So. 
we were able to stop them because there was no worry of what happens if our signups drop overnight, how are we going to pay the bills? That's a real founder problem. So that got rid of that worry. But then the big thing was the users were completely unaffected. They were completely looked after. Obviously, the team stayed in place, but the users still get the Captivate experience. We released the show notes build. We've got our next major release on, on February 10th. This year will be the biggest year for Captivate. And it's, it's the, the stuff that we're putting out there are just things that other people have not thought of. And we can only do that because we aren't worried about the rug being pulled out. So that was it. And I suppose that's quite a personal thing to share because a lot of people see Captivate or they'll see me online and it's very buoyant. I'm pretty outspoken. I've got a very giving mindset, which is a very genuine thing. But it, it's tough. We are, at the end of the day, we are still people trying to bring up children and trying to make sure that we can be the best dads and that we can be the best partners and that we can make sure that the bills are paid. And, and, and when you're running a SaaS company inside an industry where consolidation is going crazy, finding the right opportunity and the right partner, that just doesn't come along very often. True. So that was the, I suppose that was the main reasoning. Okay, so Global, for those who don't know, is a massive UK conglomerate who owns multiple radio stations, and they've got a very good advertising platform called DAX, the Digital Advertising Exchange. Now, I run a radio station, and I used Wooshka to take my live feed from my radio station, and each show is converted into a podcast. So all my shows are one hour long, and that's why I've called my radio station a podcast first radio station, because... We thought about podcasting first and radio second. Is that what Global's thinking of with you guys, taking their live shows and podcasting them out? Or is there another goal for Global? Or was it just a coming together of two minds that said, look, we like you, you like us, we'll acquire you, but we haven't got a plan yet? I can't speak so much to the the future plans um, because the sniper that's outside the other window would probably pop on through. <laughs> I need to get less windows, actually, Sam. I think that's the solution to this. But what I will say is that Global is very much focused on creating great content. Global is very much focused on doing business like we do business, Kieran and I do business, which is very genuine, very open, and in particular, Global is very much focused on on the key stakeholders of a platform, which are the users on the creator side, when it comes to something like Captivate, our podcasters, and also the listeners. So uh, the marrying up of, of Glow Global Player, of DAX, of Captivate, and the other things that we're working on is, it's a very obvious coming together of minds, I think. And like I said, I can't speak too much to the plans, but what I will say is that it, it, it's all intended to make great content available as easily as possible, but also to allow those who are creating to keep doing what they do. That is our goal. It's always been my goal. Whatever your goal as a podcaster is, I will help you to enable it as long as you are serious about it. Like we are the home for you. So I know that's a very, I feel like a politician, but that's a very uh, abstract answer, but it's, it's as honest as I, I can get with that. I think it's a very genuine answer. It's better than waiting for the Sue Gray report as an answer. So we're okay. Or <laughs> just getting the sniper. Yep. There are only those two options, Sam. So putting your podcasting future hat on a little bit, Mark, then where do you see the industry going in 2022? It's still early, so I can ask you that sort of futures question. What's your predictions for 2022 and beyond? Obviously a growing market, but where do you think it's growing to? It's a funny situation, is it? Because we've seen so many exclusives acquired. We've seen the Joe Rogan debacle recently. We've seen so many other kind of talent acquisitions going on. I... I predict that they will probably start to slow down. I, I see a, a very near future where 
and I, and I don't mean this in any other regard than positive, the mid-tier podcasters who are very clearly talented, but that don't have the budgets or the exposure, will be actually snapped up and nurtured up to superstar status. Um, I also see that the, the, what I personally see as the split between indie podcasting, the industry, and big podcasting, the media industry, I start to see that split getting bigger and bigger, especially when you start to see Spotify doing what they're doing with Joe Rogan. Apple clearly being very nonchalant about things and almost having, I love Apple and I love the team there, but there's a level of perceived apathy there with Apple that is very difficult to shake. And, and so I think when you start to consider that, look, podcasting the media, the big production, the budgets, the big ad revenue, has clearly got one set of goals, cross-level IP, when you're looking at multiple kind of acquisitions for, for, and, and tying up rights for every possible version of a podcast that you acquire. That's very different to the creator that's producing a niche podcast out of Florida for, for Sarasota real estate brokers. And I, I think that will become more evident. And I think the split will become more evident from a technological perspective. People like Captivate, people like Craig and the team, people like Alban and the team, and all these great hosting platforms that really care about the open ecosystem will move to support that much more and work deeper with independent apps like Good Pods and so on, where the bigger industry, the quote unquote media industry, I think will start to nurture that mid-level talent more and look to almost look to future-proof their slate with up-and-coming stars that aren't quite there yet. And I think that can only be a good thing because the fear of independent podcasters or the fear for independent podcasters is how can I possibly compete with Dr. Death. You probably shouldn't even be thinking like that, but because we're all bundled together in the same place with the same labeling, with the same algorithms, with the same tech, with the same everything, it's difficult not to compare. So I'm, I predict that split between the indie and the big will become more pronounced. And I think that is only a good thing. I tend to agree. I think perception of size and reality of size will come to be what people begin to understand. Um, one last quick question. As the host of multiple podcasts put yourself in spotify's hat for a second is it your responsibility as the host partner forget the fact that you've actually paid for joe rogan is it your responsibility to look at all the captivated hosted podcasts and say we need to check that what they're putting out isn't racist sexist or misinformation where do you think the line draws on the responsibility of the hosting partner platform, Captivate in this case, for example, and the podcast owner, the creator. Whose responsibility? I, I think there's a lot of challenges that come with that. I believe that there's the line of responsibility can be drawn in different places and there should be varying lines of responsibility. The first thing that I will say is that, you know, Captivate is my business. I, I'm the MD of it now at Global. The book stops with me. If something gets brought to my attention, that we should handle, then it's up to me to handle it, no one else at all. And I should handle that in a fair, I should handle that in a pragmatic, and I should handle that in an approachable and very proactive way. However, I think there's a lot of responsibility that lies with the creator. I do believe that they've got to um, be diligent and they've got to, regardless of belief systems, I think when you put yourself out there and you have a platform, you are responsible for doing your diligence. But then I think there's also the added complexity of, um, when you have a profile, it's always the example of like soccer players, football players here in the UK. They are held to a different standard than, you know, mere mortals and rightly so. 
because their decisions affect a greater portion of the population and the people that idolise them than the pub footballer that plays Sunday league at 9am every Sunday in front of 15 people. It's, and I think there are just levels to this. But what I will say is my belief is that um, difficult situations should be handled with just openness and transparency. And whoever is running the show at the places, whether it's the creator, whether it's the hosting platform, whatever, whoever is collectively running the show should be the people that are stepping up and saying, this is on me. I might not have the answers right now, but believe me, I will find them by this date and I will let you know. Because I think there's just too much of the BS that goes around. There's too much deferral. There's too much book passing. There's too much politicizing of everything. This is probably very naive. This is probably very naive, but I just believe that if we all just act as human beings, you probably won't go far wrong. And I realize how naive that sounds, but I just don't see a better way of approaching a complex system like that. So lost part of that. So Spotify doesn't have very good reporting tools. If you go to the Spotify app, both mobile or desktop, if I was listening to Joe Rogan and he said something, there is no way that I can report quickly in an episode or across the show. So I think that's one thing I think all podcasting hosts could do better is make it front and centre to for user-generated reporting. But you mentioned earlier that you, you offer transcribing for a service for podcasting. Is that you transcribing the podcast or is that the podcaster being allowed to upload their own SRT file? So Captivate works with people like Descript. So we've got a direct integration with Descript. We allow the uploading of SRT files or the manual pasting in of text to into the specific place within an episode that will then push whatever you put in there into the transcript tag. So we don't do transcription on the back end. It's not a service that Captivate provides. We might add it in the future. It's not, it's not a priority on the roadmap because frankly, other people do it better than us. And I'd rather integrate with them and, and let those experts shine at what they do. So in short, we allow for the manual creation of them or the pasting in of the text and the timestamps, or we allow the upload of the SRT files or a direct integration with the Descript team as well to get your episodes from Descript. Anyway, I think there's something the industry will find itself in 2022 having to deal with, which is controlling and policing some of the content because it's a little bit well west at the moment. Anyone can put anything up, I think, and that's the expectation. But I think Joe Rogan this week showed maybe that's not so true, but we'll see. I would agree. And, and, and just to cap that off, I, I think that just goes right back to the point of, of the gap between indie and quote-unquote big media. The second podcasting becomes big media, which it did, what, two or three years ago when acquisitions started happening and budgets got very serious, that's when accountability becomes very prominent because actually you're affecting the masses. You're not affecting 50 users on a specific location with your own small podcast. It's a responsibility thing and it's classic Spider-Man. You've got the power, you better be responsible with it. <laughs> and that's the situation I think these days with podcasting. Mark, thank you so much. Mark Asquith from Captivate. They are currently working on things like the people tag and chapters. Those automated show notes are very cool as well. What did you feel after? I think Mark had to be very cagey about what he could say about global, but it was interesting to see that he sees that they will be an arm that will take global's content and start to deliver it more towards podcasting, which is, as I said in the interview, roughly what we, we said at River Radio. And what you said earlier, audio should be available multiple places at multiple times. So whether it's live, on demand, or listen again, it shouldn't matter for the radio content. It's the way that the yeah. consumer wants to listen to it. And I think if Global is looking for an expert like Mark and his team to come in and help them 
understand how they can take their content and easily podcast it, a bit like Wushka did when they went to Spotify, then that's a great reason. The other thing, though, um, they've got a big announcement coming out next week. Mark couldn't tell me. We are all ears waiting for that one. But I also asked Mark a question that I wanted to ask you, James, which is every week after this podcast recorded, I go away and we put together our show notes, you put together chapters, and we upload the transcript. And what I suddenly dawned on me is why do we have three separate sections to a podcast when actually if we thought it through carefully that could actually be one single document so let me just explain i go into descript and i take the transcript and it's beautifully formatted and i've got chapter headers in there mm. and everything else i could export that because captivate and buzzsprout support descript and that would actually take those chapter headers and the file but then it strips it back down to srt so there's no formatting and i spoke to alban this week the head of marketing over at buzzsprout who said i can go back in and i can use html tags if i want i can make bold and paragraphs mm, and mm. page breaks and I'm like, hang on a minute, it was there five minutes ago before I uploaded it and stripped it out as an SRT. Why yeah. did I do that? Why? And then the chapters with a timestamp on it would be great. Actually, why don't I just have one document, which is my show notes, which is a summary with chapters that I can expand into the transcript and it's all together. And then maybe, gosh, like Medium, listeners could put comments against that which would then be on the timeline it just seems like we we're making a lot of hard work for all podcasters to try and make notes and chapters within podcast i think anything that makes it easier and simpler for podcasters to publish uh, makes a bunch of sense Mark's view was that he, he thought the same, but he didn't think anyone was going to actually change it. And I think that you have to be careful if you're the boss of a small company as Mark is not to focus on just the things that people like you and me and Evo Terra and Daniel J. Lewis want and actually focus a little bit more on things that other people want and things that the general public want. And maybe they don't want that sort of thing. And I think that's always going to be the balancing act that, that you always get. Anyway, let's move on. A uh, couple of companies, uh, I just want to make some quick announcements. PodLP, starting today, has added support for PodPing, so you can get faster updates of your podcast. They're already polling Buzzsprout and RSS.com, which is great. Podverse has added an embedded Twitter player for episodes and clips, which looks uh, really neat, so congratulations to Podverse. Umbral, which is basically a standalone hardware box that allows you to run your own bank in effect for satoshis has updated to 0 0.4 and along came a new version from dave jones of helipad have you downloaded your new version i've not downloaded my new version yet but one of the things that i'm quite excited by is that it includes uh, a new endpoint which uh, nobody will see but which developers can now start playing around with, which will show streaming sats as well as Boostergrams. So Boostergrams are lovely because you can see messages that people have posted to you as well as take amounts of cryptocurrency, and that's very helpful. But streaming sats, I might pay a podcast 50 sats every minute that I listen. That's actually a pretty big thing too, and currently that's not very visible at the moment. So now there's a endpoint of uh, a javascript file to take a look at that it'll be interesting to play around with that and see if we can get that to work kevin rook has said lightning podcasting is the real deal in january he said my podcast earned more from lightning tips or boostergrams 
than it did in October, November and December. And Oscar Mary, friend of the show, founder of Fountain, which is a wonderful app, says mm. that he's seeing massive growth in the user adoption for booster groups, yep. which is great to see. It's great to see. And I think Kevin Rook would see even more if he stopped calling them tips. If you ask for a tip, you get 20% of what you should be getting. If you ask for value, if you ask for somebody to pay you the value that they think that something is worth, then you will get more money. And I think one of the things that, uh, you know, and I've heard Adam Curry saying this a long time, I think one of the things that we need to be a little bit cleverer about is to get the right wording to get the right uh, talk up around this so that it isn't seen as a way of tipping people. It's a way of paying for the podcasts that you really enjoy, which is a different conversation. Last week, we talked about LibSync, the new version, adding the locked tag. The podcast index has reported that there's 218,538 feeds now in the index that support the locked tag. That's great news. And I, we need to also see the other side. We need to see people like Anchor and Spreaker support not importing a podcast if that locked tag is. And while that happens, while they continue to ignore that, then that's not going to be particularly helpful. So I think we should be spending a long time on these podcast companies basically saying, come on, guys, you need to support this because it's very clear that there is a piracy issue in podcasting, as we were talking about earlier. And uh, talking of companies that are supporting tags, good to see JustCast is supporting the person tag as well. My general consensus on all of this, James, I think, is that we are beginning to see more and more tech companies beginning to support more and more of the podcast index tags. And one of the companies that I caught up with this week was Castos. We caught up with their CEO and founder, Craig Hewitt, to find out about the new version that they launched, which includes website templates, but also what they're doing to support the podcast index tags as well. I'm joined today by Craig Hewitt. He's the CEO and founder of Castos. Craig, hey, how are you? Hey, Sam, doing great. Thanks. Where in the world are you? I am in the US and Rhode Island, so between Boston and New York. Now, let's get a little bit of background. Who or what is Castos? Yeah, so Castos is a podcast and uh, hosting and analytics platform. We also have an embedded professional services arm. We call it Castos Productions, where we help about 100 different shows, kind of full service, soup to nuts. You record, we ship a finished podcast for them. So audio editing, show note writing, marketing assets, everything like that. We serve about 4,000 active customers on the platform. Wow. And I've been around for about five years. What was the embryo? What got you into this space? I guess the uh, story is one of our customers at the kind of precursor of Castos Productions was called Podcast Motors, kind of like first business in the podcasting space, which is like a agency professional services. One of our customers there contacted me one day and said, hey, Craig, I know of someone who's selling this WordPress plugin called Seriously Simple Podcasting. And I know that you've been wanting to get into the product space and SaaS and all this kind of stuff. Maybe you should chat with him. So kind of long story short, we acquired the Seriously Simple Podcasting WordPress plugin, which was at the time and still is entirely free. Right? You could use the plugin on your WordPress site, self-host and podcast for free with WordPress, which is awesome because WordPress is also free and open source. And then we built the Castos platform as an optional kind of add-on to that as, as a hosting platform. And fast forward about nine months, we opened it to where you can use Castos by itself. So like you would use a simple cast or something like that. And at this point, about... A half our customers use WordPress and about half don't. 
So that's kind of where we came from. So you've come out with a new version recently, a couple of features in it, such as website templates. So what's in the new version? You know, we ship new code several times a week. So the new website themes that we call them are really three different themes that are all customizable with like fonts and colors and background images and things like that. So it can match the brand look and feel uh, of the podcast, but it also has things like host profiles. So it, you, you host the podcast with someone else. You can each go in there and, you know, get your Twitter avatar and all that kind of stuff, upload an image. Uh, and then there's going to be like a dedicated page about you, a subscribe page where you can populate all your subscribe links. So from our WordPress world, like what are the things that a good podcast website has? And we built all that into Castos and all like entirely free. Every podcast gets their website. They can turn them off if they want, if they have an external site, so they don't duplicate the content. But we really think it brings us up past feature parity to really being like a very complete solution for what folks want. So a lot of people say you should have a dedicated website. Why is it for podcast SEO? What are the benefits? Because a lot of people just create, you know, they might use Buzzsprout, host it, point it to Apple and Spotify, job done. They've got a podcast, haven't they? Yep. And I think that's perfectly fine for a lot of folks, right? And what we say is if your podcast stands alone and there's not like a bigger business behind it, right? Like our podcast lives on our website, our audience podcast lives on our website because we want folks to come to our website from the audience podcast and see Castos does this and they sign up and, and those kind of things. And if you're a coach or a consultant or you have a membership site or you're a business, you want that to happen. But if you're in your basement podcasting about the Green Bay Packers, you probably don't need a full-blown website. You need to focus on just creating content. And, and that's what not having an external website does is just go in, publish your podcast and cast those. The website's all taken care of for you. You can customize it if you want, but you don't have to. But I think it's really important for you to be able to point listeners somewhere that is not Apple Podcasts or Spotify to learn more about you. And I think most podcasts see this evolution over time as they get more successful and more traction and want to expand the footprint of what the podcast is to have a website, to have an email list, to market something to those folks. Very few really successful podcasts don't have other stuff going on. All this like typical internet marketing stuff that, that a lot of folks scoff at, but look at the biggest podcast and maybe it's heresy to say that like all of them have a lot more going on than just a podcast. Now, yeah, you mentioned about being able to go in and put your host details and your guest details maybe. And, and are you using the podcast index person tag? Are you supporting the index? We are supporting the index. The host or person tag is definitely coming. We didn't get it in with this release, but it's definitely coming. It's on the radar for here shortly. We support locked and GUID at this point. And next week we're releasing value for value support. Wow. Okay. Tell us for those people who don't know, um, what is value for value then? Because obviously I do, but uh, let's yeah. let's get it from you. It'd be interesting to see from someone who's developed it on your side, how, how you position it. I'll, I'll explain it from my end and then I'd love to hear from, from your <laughs> perspective. So from our end, the addition is an additional field in your RSS feed where you're able to put a, a crypto wallet ID for folks from Satoshi's to you as they're listening to the podcast on certain Podcast 2.0 enabled mobile apps. Mm -hmm. um, and so Apple Podcasts, not one of them. There's a whole bunch on the Podcast Index or Podcast 2.0 site that support this. And that's what value is to me is a way for listeners to support a podcast with crypto. And for our, from our perspective, we're just enabling our creators 
to say, hey, where is this supposed to go? And then listeners are the ones through their mobile app to say, hey, I want to stream sats yeah. to, to the podcaster. It, it really is. It's answering the question of, I can give you a thumbs up, I can give you a heart, I can give you a clap in medium. And now we've moved the, the model forward to, I can actually give you something of value. Now they're all micro payments and they're great fun to receive. You can even now, Dave Jones, who's one of the developers or the developer of uh, the podcast index, has created a new app last week called Helipad. So if you happen to have a, and it's very geeky, but if you happen to have a, an umbral server, which is like a personal server and running helipad, you can actually see in real time those boostergrams coming in or boost messages coming in. So it's very early days, but Craig, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the US, Twitter has enabled this within the client already. I, I did see that. And I think the question you might be getting at is like, is this okay? Are we too far ahead of the game? I have a personal stance and we have, a, as a company, have a stance that like crypto is, is going to be a very big part of commerce going forward. Um, yeah. I don't know that it is as transformational as the internet, like a lot of people say. But if you look at Twitter, Stripe, the really pop popular payment processor, Stripe supported crypto a few years ago and then made an announcement last fall that they're like bringing on an entire crypto team to start supporting it again sometime in the future. And so we look at, frankly, like really big leaders and innovators in, in kind of the digital space saying, hey, we're fully back on board. That tells us like from a credibility and kind of acceptance perspective that, like, hey, this is somewhere that, that we want to focus. Uh, I personally am am kind of more more ahead than that. But as a business, we have to kind of as a relatively small business, we have to be a little more conservative and, and follow a little bit some of those those bigger players. But I see crypto as really transformational in how people transact value. And that means a lot of different things for anywhere from SATs to NFTs to a whole lot of other stuff that that I think is really hard to wrap your head around right now. But I think that's the cool thing is if you make the the internet analogy is like when I was like in high school, right? Like I'm 41. Like when I was in high school, the internet was just like games and weird websites and stuff. And the concept of e-commerce and Amazon and stuff like that was just way out there. And I think that's where we are right now is all this concept of crypto as like a transfer of value and a store of value is really nascent right now. But we're definitely not ignoring it. No, I, I think you're fully on the money. When I was growing up, trying to explain to people, it's called HTTP. You put that in, then a colon. Right. For, it's called a URL. No, URL. That's what it's called. And people will look at you as if you're talking Swahili. And it didn't matter. And now you can tell anyone anywhere in the world, you put a URL in, here it is. And I yep. think the same is going to be, here's my invoice from my crypto and just pay it, right? Or grab it and whatever. And oh, what are you using? I'm using sats, not ETH. Oh, okay. That's fine. It's just one coin versus another coin. And then the terminologies and the language will just become common day vocabulary. It's just new and people shy away from you a little bit, but um, brilliant. So that's in a next release, not this release or a future release. Uh, unless this episode's going out today, by the time this episode <laughs> goes out, we'll, we'll have it live. Brilliant. Beyond sort of micropayments and, and the podcast index, where do you see podcasting going? Where is your head around things like advertising, DAI, things like the closed wall gardens of Spotify and Apple? How do you see this industry evolving in 2022? When it comes to, like, I think the big question is like, how do we enable creators to monetize their content? That's like for us, like the really big umbrella. So it was like how to create a podcast. I think we've nailed that as well as we can. Tools like Descript that we partner really closely with are and Riverside and Squadcast that we're recording on Riverside. But, but those two tools make make 
the recording and editing and production process just way easier than when I got started. And probably when you got started, I got started seven years ago to where the content creation part is, I think like about as easy as it's going to get. Mm-hmm. The, the room for me for innovation is, is around, okay, it's easy for folks to understand how to create content. It's easy, relatively easy for them to distribute it through platforms like ours. Now, how do we enable and empower creators to, to monetize their content directly without this weird affiliate stuff or, or anything like that that is, is just this circuitous route to maybe what folks perceive as value. And we feel very strongly that it is not in advertising. Um, advertising is just a holdover from terrestrial radio days mm-hmm. and I think has almost no place in podcasting. Uh, and I know that's a very <laughs> controversial thing to say, but like for me, the more natural way to say, okay, I have an audience of people to get value from listening to what I have to say. There probably is a subset that would pay me money for more of that content and they would get more value from that. And that's where we're putting all of our eggs is in the private podcasting basket. And so that has two flavors to it. So Apple and Spotify have their very closed versions of that on their platforms we have a version of that on our platform and are enabling payments directly within our platform as well. A content creator can say, okay, I have my public podcast. It's all here available. It's in all the directories, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. I also have this premium a private podcast that's 10 bucks. And if you want, you can pay for access to it. So, so that's one way. And that's coming really soon. Like in the next couple of weeks from our end, we're going to have a native integration with Stripe. Again, like really huge payment processor. You bring your Stripe account we don't take a percentage or anything like that, like a lot of the, the other really popular platforms. We just enable you to make money. The other one, also in the private podcasting basket, is there are a lot of people out there with existing audiences that are engaging with them in some way already. They have a Facebook group. They have a course on Teachable or something like that. They have a big email list with ConvertKit. And we are building automations to tie in with these tools that creators are already using to automate the adding and removing of private subscribers from private podcasts. So think about, take the ConvertKit example, you have a big email list. When someone joins like the super premium part of that list or buys a product or something like that, you can trigger something in our platform to say like, when someone purchases this item from ConvertKit Commerce, add them to my private podcast that's only for customers. And the feedback we're getting from customers there is just like, where were you guys two years ago? <laughs> this is the best thing. Like our competition is, is reeling because we're adding so much value and it's almost no extra work for me because folks are able to create this content like really easily. And then everything else about the permissioning and the distribution is fully automated through our integrations. So for us, that's where we're going, like where the industry is going. I think that a lot of, there's a lot of hold on to, to the advertising model. And I just think that if you do the math, for the vast majority of podcasters, they just can't make any money. You yeah. can't make any money at a $20 CPM, but you can selling a $10 membership. And and that's what we think is the best way to enable creators to, to make money and then like really follow that passion and just be a podcaster. You don't have to go do a whole bunch of other stuff and sell ads and do contracts and stuff that like a lot of creators don't want to do. It's the Kevin Kelly 1000 True Fans model. Yep. Exactly. Brilliant. Look, Craig, thank you so much for your time. Where can people get hold of Castos? Where's the best place for them to go? Castos.com, C-A-S-T-O-S. We'd love to check it out. Any questions, just shoot us a message. Hello at Castos.com. And will you be at Podcast Movement? I will. Yep. 
So we'll try and find you there as well. So uh, Sounds great. Thanks, Craig. Take care and congratulations on the last build. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. Craig Hewitt from Castos talking about supporting value for value, which is really exciting on both sides. That's pretty cool, Sam. And so now I think it's time for the return. Boostergram Corner. I can't get more top 40 than that. It is. It's time for Boostergram Corner. Uh, how exciting. It's lovely uh, to be back. Justin from the Optimal Living Daily Podcast sent us 726 sats. Why 726, Sam? In America on their phones, they have numbers and letters, and it spells Sam on the telephone keypad. So that's brilliant. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to be using that. It's a uh, fan boost. It's a Sam boost, yes. <laughs> I have to be careful how I say that. And he sent it to me, thankfully, because I had been called Seth rather than Sethy on the new media show. So thank you, Justin. Yes, and what does he say there? As a fellow Indian, I feel the pain being called by my last name, which I don't share because James will butcher it. It's right, Justin how can I, Malik. How can I possibly butcher Malik? How complicated is Justin Malik as a surname? How can I possibly butcher that? Justin, uh, thank you so much for the sats. Uh, I appreciate the Sam sat. I believe, have you got your umbrella actually up and running yet, Sam? No, and I had a very kind offer from Dave to help me. It is my project for the weekend. I've had a busy week. It was your project for the weekend last weekend. Uh, Kyron from the Mere Mortals podcast has sent us one, one, two, three sats saying, bring back Boostergram Corner on Podland, James. Listen to the angry mob. And then says, nah, do whatever you want. Very Australian. Uh, thank you, Karin. And he also says, loving the use of chapter art with the chapters, Sam and James. It's a small touch, but I feel it adds a lot. Your linkage game is top notch as always. Sam, that's all your work, the chapter art. So uh, thank you for doing that. Uh, Karin likes it's a joint it. effort, James. You know that. It's a joint effort. <laughs> Martin from Podfriend, 10,000 sats. Thank you for some great shows. Thank you for the sats, Martin. Most appreciative of that. Adam Curry sent us 3333 sats, which must be a thing, mustn't it? Boosting for Podping, he says, which is nice. Jane Domingo says boosting for chapters and has sent us the same thing. And Jane then sent 5,000 sats saying, I hope I'm doing this correctly. New listener. Love what your group is doing with value for value. Jane, thank you so much. It's not our group, of course. It's uh, Adam Curry and Dave Jones, but we have um, jumped on the back of it and we're using it. So thank you so much for uh, being a new listener and thank you for your um, 8,000 plus sats. That's very kind of you. And Andy Lehman sent us the three ducks, two, two, two sats. Keep up the good work, guys. Love hearing you guys talk about podcasting. Thank you, Andy. Is two two two? Is that a rooster boost? Maybe it's the rooster booster. Maybe it is. Uh, finally, Oscar Mary, uh, who said us two 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 sats, which must be a rooster booster. It's the rooster booster. Anyway, he says I have to completely disagree with Jonas here. Now this shows you how old this um, this message is, because Oscar is talking about a podcast three weeks ago. But Oscar says streaming micropayments on a per minute basis is not something we've seen before, and it will take time to get to the point where podcasters are making significant revenue from this. But we will get there. Agreed. Oscar, of course, is the boss of uh, Fountain, which is a very good podcast app. So if this podcast is valuable to you, download something like Fountain from the app store it's available on both android phones and on toy phones and you can uh, download that and press that boost button 
uh, and send us some cryptocurrency, whatever you think is uh, right for the value that you get from this uh, podcast. And uh, I appreciate all of those boosts. Cool. Now, events coming up, just to throw it out there. Podcast Futures here in London on February the 22nd, I will be going. I'm looking forward to meeting as many people there as possible. Uh, I do wish Podcast Futures would send out some sort of confirmation that the event's going ahead and that actually my registration has been registered because so far, everyone I know who said they wanted to go has not had anything back. So, hello, Podcast Futures, Earth Calling, please send some confirmation out. Well, I'm sure that they're planning on it. One of the main sessions will be presented by Laura Ivey of Edison Research. It's at the Central Hall in Westminster, wherever that is. So that should be nice. And I know it's in Westminster, <laughs> but as for quite where the Central Hall is, it sounds like a very old building. It may or may not be. Sponsors so far, Triton Digital, Veritonic and Target Spot. They're going to announce uh, more uh, speakers. I am on that list of being a speaker. I'll tell you now, I won't be or there. Just... Uh, so not quite sure what's going on there. But I may be speaking from afar or I may not be speaking at all. Who knows? We'll find out. But that should be good. It's on the 22nd of February or as you know it. 2-2-2-2022. Exactly. The other event we keep uh, talking about is Podcast Movements in March. Uh, James and I will both be out there. We're looking forward to meeting as many people as well when we get out there. I think yesterday was the early bird, the end of the early bird. So if you've missed it, apologies. But you make sure you go on. And if you're coming out, please come and say hello to one of us or both of us. Yes, that would be really good. I'm looking forward to being there, getting there a little bit early and looking forward to catching up with all kinds of people. So that should be really good. What else has happened uh, for you in Podland this week, Sam? I can't tell you. That's the problem. Oh, I see. Oh, it's all been, it's all top secret, top secret stuff. No, it's, it's very mundane and boring stuff, really. Building yeah. a platform and doing stuff. That it's doesn't like, sound mundane. That sounds exciting. But you just can't tell us anything about your secret platform yet. Yes, one day I will reveal all. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. For me, I was on a Sydney radio station 2SER on a media show that they do uh, down there. And on Saturday, I will be on 3RRR. I'm imagining that's called really 3RRR. They're in Melbourne. And I am it's on a pirate radio station. I'm on something which I'm, I'm slightly concerned about. It's called The Party Show. But I don't think it's got anything to do with Boris Johnson. And again, I'm talking about Joe Rogan and trying to be as balanced as I possibly can be after the emails. So there we are. That's it for this week. Brilliant. Look, please follow Podland in your podcast app and on Twitter at Podland News. And if you want to grab our attention, if you've got a tweet, uh, put hashtag Podland News and I'll find it very quickly. Oh, that's fancy. You can find previous shows on the web at podland.news. Daily news is at podnews.net, which is a free newsletter. The podcast can be found in your podcast app and all the stories we've discussed on Podland today are in the show notes of this very podcast and it's a bit too late for you now but we use chapters as well so you can skip around from different story to different story no one's listening at this point as we said last week James yes indeed and uh, our music is from Ignite Jingles we're hosted and sponsored by our good friends at Buzzsprout so keep listening 